All right, I'm going to show you a, a picture that I think, don't show it yet, legend, <laughs> a picture that I think sums up the word grace. And I'm not talking about this church, Grace Church. I'm talking about grace like the gifts of God, the free, unmerited gifts of God, okay? Are you ready for this picture? All right, show it, legend. There it is. Grace. Now, when you look at this picture, what I want to know from you is, do you see stepping stones or stumbling blocks? Right? We know the correct answer is stepping stones, right? But some people would view that as a stumbling block. Of course, God's gifts can be either, depending on how you view them and what you do with them. This is the gist of what Jesus was trying to say to those religious leaders that day. This is it in a nutshell. That they were viewing the privilege of serving in God's vineyard as a right, as an entitlement. Hey, we are sons of Abraham. We were born into this role. It is ours by right. And for that, Jesus said, you're tripping all over it. Because they were claiming the fruits of their labor as their own taking the credit for what did not belong to them in the first place, withholding credit from God. And Jesus said, if you cannot reorient your attitude toward the gift of serving, what it means to serve God and His people in the kingdom, then that privilege would be stripped from them and given to someone else. He said, I want to see true fruit produced. Now, we uh, at, at our breakfast club meeting this Monday, we, we asked the question, what is the fruit that Jesus is speaking about? If we look at all the times that Jesus talks about fruit in the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels and what Paul has to say, and I thought, you know, Paul's uh, list in Galatians 5 probably sums it up best. It's what I used in my prayer this morning. He lists nine fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We know those. We've been saying that list since our Sunday school years. This is what Jesus wanted to see from those religious leaders. Now, it's easy for us to read this story and say, well, shame on them. But I got to say, unfortunately, religious leaders are not the only ones who are prone to tripping on grace. No pun intended, Ken, for the grace trippers. We may have to rethink that name, right? <laughs> unfortunately, God's people have always twisted things around. It's just a common occurrence among God's people, really, among the whole world. We get it twisted around in our minds. You know, it's interesting. Paul was writing his letter to the church in Corinth. And he said to them in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, legend. No, 
Paul said, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? Now think about that for a second. It's, it's easy to just to read that and, and, and blow on through it. What do you have that you did not receive? Start making a mental list of all the external things that you have. Jobs, money, home, spouses, children, grandchildren, food, friends, a church to belong to, a church to go to. Now start thinking about the internal things that you have, things like life, health and well-being, knowledge, personhood, your very sense of self. Is that not something that you have received from God? You see, when Paul says that there is nothing that we have that we did not receive, Paul means everything. Everything. And yet, we walk around as if they were our own. Especially, I would say, our sense of self, which some people would call the ego. You've heard of egocentricity, a ballooned ego. You believe that your sense of self, you're a self-made man, a self-made woman, right? And then we get defensive and greedy with when anything that we perceive as a threat comes along. To take away what we believe is ours, we start to get defensive. We start to do really weird things, like this religious leaders who, who uh, their job is to, to hand the fruit over to God, and yet they go, wait, maybe we can keep all this for ourselves, keep the proceeds for ourselves. Oh, here comes the son. It's his inheritance. If we kill him, there's no one to give the inheritance to. It'll be ours, right? This is something that we all deal with because we're born into a world that believes and reinforces the idea that we are silos, that we are somehow individuals each responsible for our own selves and our relationship with God, that we are isolates who have nothing to do with the gift of belonging to all creation. And then when you double down on that lie, well, then grace at that point has become a stumbling block. It's no longer a stepping stone. Did anybody just now hear the monkey song in your head? Did you? Just Jesus says the gift of grace, the gifts of God are a rock that will crush you if you do not change your way of seeing God's reality. So then my next question is I'm studying this week is then, then how do I maintain a right perspective so that God's gifts are always stepping stones? How do I do that? How do I not get it twisted around in my mind? And I ended up in Ephesians chapter 4, 25 through 5, 20. Now, this is too long of a passage, so I'm not going to put it up on the screen. But I'm going to summarize and tell you that in this passage, Paul gives us some tips on how to maintain right perspective in light of who you are in the world. And these tips involve giving up certain behaviors, right? Not because... 
they cause God to turn from us, but because they get in the way of keeping your eyes fixed on what is really true. Paul also encourages certain behaviors. Amazingly, things like singing songs to the Lord. Sing, he says, spiritual songs, hymns, psalms. Sing them together. Sing them alone. Sing them to God. He says, continually give thanks for all that you have. Maybe a good practice would be to identify one thing every day and just pause and give thanks for that. Thank you for my grandchildren. I know they're not really mine. I know they're yours. Thank you for letting me borrow them for a little bit. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my church. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for my breath. Maybe that would be a good practice. I'm going to encourage you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, 25 through 520 in your own time and read it slowly. Look at what Paul is saying here. Let it really sink in what he's saying. But I would also like to add to that list, and this is just from my own personal experience, that intentionally staying in the presence of Christ through deep listening is very important. Y'all know I've been playing around here with, with contemplative prayer and standing on holy ground and getting quiet before the Lord so that you can know God is God, right? We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Super, super important. If your mind is going a million miles an hour, you cannot hear the voice of Christ. So it's important that at least once a day, you get really quiet for a second. Listen for the voice of Christ in the Scriptures. I amazingly find the voice of Christ in my favorite songs all the time. There's something about music. Paul says, sing music, also listen to it. Right? We listened to one of my favorite songs this morning from U2. You two write some of the best worship songs, but you got to know how to look for it and listen to it. Listen for the voice of Christ in nature. Paul says, man, if we had nothing else, no, no text, if we had no Bible, you can just go outside and know there's a God. Just look at it, right? Listen for the voice of Christ in nature. Listen for the voice of Christ in others. Every encounter you make with another person is a chance to hear the voice of Christ. So listen carefully. Be in the moment at all times. Listen for the still, small voice. I would also say breathe deep. Breathe deep. All the great religions of the world will tell you there is something special about breath. In the very first chapters of the Bible... We see God form a human and then do this really intimate thing where God puts his face right on the face of Adam and breathes into him and he becomes a living being. There's something about the breath, which the Bible calls the spirit, which I think warms icy hearts and begins to unveil that fruit in your life that Paul tells us about. This is all, all this that we're saying here. Giving up certain things, engaging in certain things, getting quiet, listening hard, singing songs. All of these are tools that we have at our disposal to push back against that ego that rages and roars and tells you everything is yours. This is the path to staying awake to the reality 
What is that reality? That we are dependent and connected to all that belongs to God, which Paul says is everything. We are dependent upon it. We are connected to it. We have to be mindful of it. Otherwise, grace begins to become a stumbling stone that will trip us up, that will crush us. Now, i got to tell you, it's easy to be critical of these religious leaders. When I read these old scriptures, when I have Bible studies with people and we're in Sunday school classes, one of the things that usually comes up is, how could they be so stupid? How could they have done that? In light of what they had seen leading up to this, all the miracles, all the wonderful things that God had done for them, how could they have gotten so twisted around? But I realize that I am them and they are me. They, they haven't done anything that I haven't done, and vice versa. And so I'm thankful that Luke, in his gospel, gives us just a little softening to this. Right? Just a little grace on top of grace. Like I've messed grace up, and Luke says, here's a little extra grace for you. He says, when you think about your call to bear fruit, listen to this parable. This is Luke 13, 6 through 9 legend. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And the gardener replied, Sir, leave it alone for one more year. Let me dig around it and put some manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, awesome. But if not, then you can cut it down. I need to hear that. Because the gardener here, I think, is God, who is reluctant to cut us down, reluctant to cut the tree down. God's natural inclination is to give us every chance that we need to thrive. And if we start to get worried that, well, maybe if I don't thrive by the next year, then that's the me, the tree of me is going to be cut down and cut off and separated from God. Before you go there, I want you to know what David confesses in Psalm 139, he says, you know, actually, we're never cut off from God. Really, this cutting off is probably the ego just like taking over, and you lose all sight of whose you are and who you are. So this is what David says in Psalm 139. Legend. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. Look at this. Look at this, folks. If I make my bed in hell itself, behold, you are there. <laughs> Never heard that in church before, did you? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. See, David said, 
even if my ego gets out of control, God is still there. There's no place that you can go that God is not. What Jesus is warning us here is that if you stumble on God's grace long enough, your mind gets so dark that you're unable to perceive the truth. That all of it is a gift. That God is rooting for you. God is with you. God is in you. God is giving you all that you need, not just to be successful, but to thrive. I think Jesus called that abundant life. I came that they might have abundant life. So our challenge today is to not be those people, the folks that stumble on grace, but rather the folks that step upon grace to realize it is a stepping stone upward and onward. That we need to be the people who protest that part of us which says, that is mine. Oh, that's mine, don't touch that. Oh, that's mine, don't touch that. We have to push back against that. And give thanks for all the grace. We're going to take communion. And something occurred to me this week that, uh, you know, if we're talking about uh, God's grace in and through everything, then communion really is just another place where this is happening. Right? That, that, that all of life is a sacrament, in a sense. And so I want to read to you the prayer of St. Patrick. And as I'm reading this prayer, which was written in the 400s, very old prayer. I want you to think about these words in relation to the bread and wine that we're about to receive, okay? Patrick says, Christ be with us. Christ before us. Christ behind us. Christ in us. Christ beneath us. Christ above us. Christ on our right. Look to your right. Do you see Christ? Christ on our left, look to your left. Do you see Christ? Christ where we lay down, Christ where we sit, Christ where we arise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of us, Christ in, the, in every eye that sees us, Christ in every ear that hears us. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation, which is another word for grace, is of the Christ. May your salvation, O Lord, be ever with us. And so I wrote a new blessing for you today. This is a blessing that I took from Proverbs 18.24 and riffed on it. Okay? So if you go there, you're going to say, that's not what 18.24 says. But it gave me the start. Receive this blessing. There is one who sticks closer than sister or brother. One who is closer than father or mother. One who is closer than spouse or lover. One who is closer than your very self and yet is none other. May you find this one whose presence melts all fears and loneliness and suffering and pain. May you find this one 
who refuses to dish out condemnation and revenge and judgment and shame. May you find this one who even now beckons you to give up your life so that you might find it again as the dawn of eternity reveals that you and the one have become one and the same. In the name of this one who promises, promises that those who seek shall find, go forth with this blessing until we are gathered together once again. Amen.